Hello, and welcome to the Inner Stoa podcast. Uh, this is episode number one, which is reasonably exciting, considering it's a new endeavor for me. I Kind of a brief intro into what this sort of looks like for me is that, um, at least for the beginning part of this podcast, it would be mainly just me reading books. Um, many of the books that I'll be reading actually are books that I've already read. Um, some new ones, but at least for the probably first several episodes, it'll be just books that I've already read. Um, and it'll be me going through the books uh, that I've highlighted and made footnotes on and just giving my, my I guess, interpretations of the books, um, mo- most of which won't really need much interpretation, but more or less just reading the highlighted sections, going over what I found interesting and, and how I found that it's related to my life and in ways that either it's one helped me um, or in some situations, in most situations, um, areas that I still need to improve upon. Um, And that's sort of what this podcast is going to be about. Um, I mean, the name itself, so Inner Stoa. Uh, Stoa is essentially a place um, in ancient times where uh, philosophers would get together and have discourse, uh, mainly about Stoicism, but this podcast isn't going to be mainly Stoicism. It'll be a mix between all different types of philosophies and, um, and categories of books. Um, take in mind that even though I would consider myself um, a, a business person, uh, I won't be reading a lot of business books because I find they are too distanced from the source material. Um, a good example is actually the book that I'm going to be kind of going through today, um, not right now, but in a couple minutes here. Uh, it's called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. You've probably heard of it, um, mainly because it's one of the most, I mean, other than the Bible, um, it's probably one of the more higher selling books ever. Um, maybe Musashi or maybe Joseph Campbell's books, but either way, um, one of the top selling books ever. Um, and in this, you know, some of the passages I read out of the Art of War, some of the highlighted sections, um, like just to give you a taste, like one of the lines in the book will go something like this where it goes. This is me paraphrasing, although I should, probably should have just had this outright um, highlighted already. But either way, um, the line goes something like, um, take care of internal affairs before um, waging war on the external ones. And this is a military book for the most part, um, although me just saying that quote to you, you, you probably got the gist of you should deal with your own problems and then uh, b- before criticizing others or, you know, Something like that, which is in going to a lot of going to be in a lot of self help books and as well as a lot of business books, um, and this is just one example of something that was written two thousand years ago that's been repeated many many times. Um, I just find that the source material, so you know, books that are much older. Now I'm sure there's probably literature even older than this that maybe Sun Tzu got a lot of his knowledge from, but we don't have those, so these are more or less the earliest source materials. Um, other books that I'd be going through. I mean, just to give you kind of a taste of other things, uh, the books so like Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, um, Seneca, and uh, I won't be going through Epictetus, even though it's like one of the big three Stoic um, philosophers, but those are two other books. Um, you know, uh, some some pop culture books like uh, Give and Take by Adam by Adam Grant. Um, be going through these books. Um, and so then with the inner Stoa, essentially, uh, you know, I believe that each of us has some sort of inner discourse with ourselves and this discourse um, 
really is what drives our lives and and I think that by just educating yourself and being a student and constantly improving that um, you might get somewhere and that's what I'm trying to do is through this podcast I'm more or less um, doing it for myself um, plot twist so I would um, I'd, I'd like to kind of approach this as a student and and learn um, in front of a microphone essentially it's a way of holding myself accountable to um, actually diving deeper into these books um, one thing that's so I've read a couple hundred books at this point and I've really dedicated myself to at least the reading of the books. Um, understanding them is a whole other ball game. Um, obviously, I'm still very young, so there's there's that part of it. Um, maybe I just don't have quite the the uh, development yet and maturity to fully understand some of these concepts. But I'll at least be trying to uh, live <laughs> essentially. Um, but I also would like to join you guys in this in the sense that I hope that I can. You know, maybe through some of my interpretations or, you know, some of my... Because, I mean, a lot of this will be my first uh, times really saying a lot of the things I say on the microphone out loud. Um, even, despite me, like, I mean, this is The Art of War, for example. That's the book I'm going to go through today. I've read this book probably about 12 times. Um, uh, and, and the copy that I have, actually, interesting enough, is is not only The Art of War, um, but it's also The Art of War with commentary from some of the uh, Chinese um, philosophers and, and generals of, of um, after Sun Tzu had died. I think some are even from when he was alive. Um, so, so essentially, I mean, I've read this book 24 times because it's two copies in one, um, both copies being the same material, just one with the commentary. So, I mean, I, you, despite me reading this book this many times, it's not like I... So, let's put it this way it's not common for me to exactly chat up a conversation with the art of war and if i do it certainly won't be uh, with the book in front of me with the footnotes so this will be a first experience um, for myself as well to kind of explore my uh, my brain a little bit um, either way i hope it's somewhat entertaining um, potentially meditative um, hopefully you learn something from it hopefully i learn something from it and yeah i i hope that we can at least have conversations going forward i'm not sure if anyone will listen to this other than maybe my girlfriend. I, certainly my mother won't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, here we go. So The Sun uh, Art of War by Sun Tzu. So the chapter one is uh, called Laying Plans. And the first thing that I've highlighted is this. It's line number two, by the way. So if you pick up the, actually I should say the edition I got. I'll put it in the, in the description of the podcast. I guess that's what people do. Um, to the exact edition I have. It's the uh, one by World Cloud Classics. Um, it has a brown leather um, cover. I, this is actually, the, funny enough, this is actually the um, the uh, version of the, like this brand is the same brand I have of The Prince by Machiavelli, which I think I'll be going through on the next episode. Um, and I tend to like these, these books. I've read different copies of The Art of War and this one I found to be the um, not just necessarily the easiest to read, um, but I do like the, um, the fact that it has the a translated version. Well, I mean they're both translated, obviously, because it's from Chinese. Um, but the, there's a commentary in the second half of the book, um, so it's kind of like two books in one. It's good. Anyway, so chapter one: laying plans. Sun Tzu said, "The art of war is of vital importance to the state." Line number two. It is a matter of life and death, a road either to safety or to ruin. 
Hence it is a subject of inquiry which no one which can on no account be neglected. So essentially just it this is vital. Like this is not to be passed up on. The studying of the art of war is well, in this case, importance to the state. But I think it's also important, I mean, to, to really understand, I mean, I know that like, the art of war sounds super intense, um, and you may think, well, okay, hold on, we're not exactly at war. <clears throat> but on a daily basis, I, I mean, maybe I'm a little bit more aggressive in my way of thinking, but I do think that each day you sort of go to war in many different ways. And as we go through this book, I'll kind of explain, you know, different situations that I think are transferable, um, now, of course, we're not trying to slit each other's throats, but we definitely are going into conflict, uh, which if you <laughs> learn to know me, I, I, I tend to be driven towards conflict. Uh, skipping to line number 10. By method and discipline are to be understood the marshalling of the army in its proper subdivisions, the graduations of rank among the officers, the maintenance of roads by which supplies may reach the army, and the control of military expenditure. So basically systems, um, systems and staying organized. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Um, method and discipline are to be understood. The marshalling of the army and its proper subdivisions. So basically making sure that your army, or in this case, you know, if you, if you want to run a business like I do, um, it's important to make sure that you're, you know, like in, in the case of me, I run a, a construction company. It's a painting company. Um, it's important to make sure that you have the proper crews and that they're subdivided in this case. And the graduations of rank among the officers making sure that, um, that there's people being uh, promoted uh, to different managerial positions and making sure, which is actually funny enough, one of the things that I'm going through right now, I'm trying to um, subdivide my business a little bit better so that it can be better managed, um, creating new roles. So this is very right up my alley right now. Um, the maintenance of roads by which supplies may reach the army and the control of military expenditure. This is another vital thing, especially in construction. Um, again, like, I mean, so, I mean, we're literally two, four lines in and I'm already um, bringing this right back to uh, really any, any business. So um, the maintenance of roads by which supplies um, may reach the army. So in this case, like especially with a painting company, um, you run out of paint, and it's important to make sure that you have um, the proper supply lines to your troops. Uh, in this case, my painters, and making sure that they, you know they have a constant supply of paint and making sure they have a constant supply of tools. Um, but this is no different than if you run a, um, let's say you run a, a uh, restaurant. You want to make sure that each of your restaurants, maybe you only have one, so maybe it's easier to manage. But you know, eventually, maybe the goal is to have multiple. Well, of course, you're going to want to have the proper supply lines to each of these. Um, each of these restaurants, making sure that they're fully stocked up because uh, like the soldiers, if they're not supplied, your business will die. I uh, can't do any painting without paint. can't run a restaurant without food. Um, and control of military, military expenditure. So, I mean, yeah, cost control. I mean, I mean, especially in business. I mean, the, the, the whole point of running a business is to make a profit. Uh, that's, that's, that's business. It's entrepreneurship. Uh, take a risk, hope they get a reward, in this case, money. So, yeah, I mean, it, you got to control the expenditures. Uh, but, I mean, even in your own personal house, uh, you can imagine controlling expenditures of, of uh, you know, just household supplies and things like that. I mean, you know, your business is uh, the business of your household. Line number 11. These five heads should be familiar to every general. He who knows them will be victorious. 
he know he who knows them will who knows them not will fail therefore in your deliberations when seeking to determine the military conditions let them be made the basis of a comparison in this wise so here's the things he talks about number 1 which of the two sovereigns is imbued with the moral law which of the two generals has the most ability so obviously the one who has the most ability is going to have a bit of an advantage with whom lie the advantage derived from heaven and earth heaven and earth is just everything that is external that you can't control and you'll you we might hear him say that multiple times i'm not sure how many lines have highlighted that he says heaven and earth i tend to stick away from those ones but heaven and earth and him is just externals that you, that you can't control earth literally being earth and heaven being like weather and things like that um Four, uh, on which side is discipline most rigorously enforced? So it talks a lot about discipline. Um, obviously, the side that has the most discipline is going to have an advantage for obvious reasons. I'm not sure I have to get into that too much. Uh, which army is stronger? So which one has more troops? Which one has stronger troops? On which side are officers and men more highly trained? So this is extremely vital. In business, obviously, like uh, for painting, uh, having highly trained painters is going to be more advantageous than than not. Um, with even to the bat, to the last one here, which army is stronger? So who has more painters? They're going to be able to take on more work. They're going to be able to take on more work at shorter notice. Uh, take on larger projects. Uh, a business that has one painter versus one that has fifteen. Clearly, the one with 15s can take on uh, larger projects and get them completed faster and have the ability to take on uh, more work in a short period of time. Just complete more work as well. Uh, in which army is the their greater constancy, both in reward and punishment? So this kind of goes in the same line of discipline, right? Making sure that uh, that your that your troops um, get rewarded, but also punished, and it needs to be somewhat consistent. So you don't want your guys always being punished, but you also don't always want them being rewarded, which may sound counterproductive, but there needs to be some sort of punishment because no one's perfect, and I'm, I'm sure they're making mistakes. Line number 15. The general that hearkens to my counsel and acts upon it will conquer. Let such a one be retained in command. The general that hearkens not to my counsel nor acts upon it will suffer defeat. Let such a one be dismissed. So, I mean, it's, again, like this is such a great example uh, what of what I was talking about earlier about how this is another reason why I like to read books that are closer to the source material because this essentially is just, if all you want to do is talk about it, you're not going to get anywhere. You actually have to act upon it. And so he says that and acts upon it. The general that hearkens to my counsel and acts upon it. So not only is he seeking knowledge, but he's also acting upon it. So you can imagine when you go read a book, we all know friends that go and read a book. So great, they're going to go hearken to this counsel of the book. That's why you go to a book. Ten, <laughs> I mean, unless it's entertainment, but at least for my purposes, I go to books to try and educate myself. But if you don't act upon it, well, then it doesn't matter. Line number 16. While heeding the profit of my counsel, avail yourself also of any helpful circumstances over and beyond the ordinary rules. Now, I'm not 100% sure what this one this one means, but at least what I'm getting out of it is that there's always going to be exceptions to the rule, and we all know that one guy or girl 
who every single time you tell them something, uh, a piece of advice, or they, you know, maybe they ask you for advice and you say, okay, well, here's what I would do. And they say, well, what about this? And it's one very one-off situation. I'm um, actually quite prone to this as well. One of my, uh, my business consultant, uh, he, he would laugh if he was listening to this podcast because uh, there's numerous times where I maybe come up with one-off situations where he's like, yeah, but is that a one-off? And then I think to myself, oh, it is. And then I move on. Line number 24, attack him where he's unprepared, appear where you were not expected. Line number 26, now the general who wins a battle makes many calculations in his temple, ere the battle is fought. The general who loses a battle makes but few calculations beforehand. Thus do many calculations lead to victory and few calculations to defeat. How much more no calculation at all? It is by attention to this point that I can foresee who is likely to win or lose. So essentially, the more prepared you are, the more likely you are to win. Um, I don't think anyone's going to challenge that. Um, no, I think there's also like on the flip side of this, there's a dichotomy to this. You don't want to be too prepared um, in the sense that you don't take action and actually get onto things. But yeah, calculating. Um, in, in my life, there's a lot of preparation that goes into a project before the project starts. Um, whether it's estimating things, um, setting up production planners, um, ensuring that uh, the, equi- the proper equipment is uh, not only ready for, the, for my painters, but also um, available. So that finishes chapter one. So chapter two, uh, Waging War. By the way, I'm probably only going to go through about seven chapters because this book's quite long, so I might break this into two podcasts. Probably going to hit, hit, uh, hit around the 30-minute mark. It's also quite late. So, chapter two, waging war. Line number two to line number seven. When you engage in actual fighting, if victory is long in coming, then men's weapons will grow dull and their ardor will be damped. If you lay siege to a town, you will exhaust your strength. Again, if the campaign is protracted, the resources of the state will not be equal to the strain. Now, when your weapons are dulled, your door damped, your strength exhausted, and your treasure spent, other chieftains will spring up to take advantage of your extremity. Then no man, however wise, will be able to avert the consequences that must ensue. I just want to make a little note here. This is a great example. So especially in construction, like in my industry, um, like when it says uh, lay siege in, in protracted war, the way I look at this is it's like a long project that just drags on, right? And it demoralizes, demoralizes your troops, uh, dulled weapons, as in used equipment, used brushes, um, but also just morale is down. The project's you know prolonging, prolonging, prolonging. They want to get onto a new project, um, and they're exhausted. And all of a sudden, maybe another job comes up, and they think, you know what? I've been grinding at this job. Another job comes, and then maybe another employer will come and scoop up your employees, you know, or maybe in a different industry, something similar where your employees get exhausted on some sort of large project of some sort, and uh, someone else might come along and, and take those employees. Thus, though we have heard of stupid haste in war, cleverness has never been associated with long delays. There is no instance of a country having benefited from prolonged lore, warfare, 
It is only one who is thoroughly acquainted with the evils of war that can thoroughly understand the profitable way of carrying it on. So on the flip side, um, even though it, uh, you don't necessarily want to have prolonged warfare, or in this case, a prolonged project, or just something that's taking much longer than needs to be, uh, drain on your resources. Because take, take in mind, especially if you're in a contract-based contract industry, the, lo- the longer your project takes... Uh, the more labor that's going into it, the less profit you have. Um, so you don't want these to be prolonged. Now on the flip side, it wouldn't be so bad if your competitors had a couple of these. So maybe there's a project that you think is something that's not worth taking on. Maybe at a certain price and, and, and you're okay with one of your competitors maybe getting it at a lower price because you know that it's going to be a drain on their resources and it may be worth just letting them take this project that you know is a drain and going from maybe ones that are more profitable. So there's a flip side to it. That's it for chapter, uh, for that chapter. Chapter three. So a lot of highlighted here. Sun Tzu said, in the practical art of war, the best thing of all is to take the enemy's country whole and intact. To shatter and destroy it is no good or is not so good. So too, it is better to recapture an army entire than to destroy it, to capture a regiment, a detachment, or a company entire than to destroy them. Hence, to fight and conquer in all your battles is not supreme excellence. Supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. Where my mind um, goes directly with this one is actually sales. Um, there's a You can be very, very aggressive and absolutely just overwhelm the client and get them to sign the contract and i view that as conquering them entirely but in such a way that they're basically against you and the opposite is more of a comfort approach which has actually been my go-to sort of style for sales not only do i find it just more or less natural for me but um but for this exact reason here so it says hence to fight and conquer in all your battles is not supreme excellence Supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. And I view as a, a comfort approach in sales that um, you're not fighting with the client, you're working with them versus the hard sell, which I used to do when I was a lot younger, when I was a little bit more inexperienced in sales. I used to just fight every single one. Every sales call was a battle. I would go to war with that client. And I would get some. I mean, I did reasonably well. Um, but I've done a lot better now that I've decided to not fight with my clients, but rather work with them. And so that's, that's where my mind goes with that one. Line number four. The rule is not to besiege walled cities if it can possibly be avoided. The preparation of mantles or mantlets, movable shelters, and various implements of war will take up three whole months and the piling up of mounds over against the walls will take three months more. The general, unable to control his irritation, will launch his men to assault like swarming ants, with the result that one-third of his men are slain, while the town still remains untaken. Such are the disastrous effects of a siege. I view this in multiple different ways. I mean, even just keeping with the sales um, analogy. Um, A walled city may be a client that just isn't ready to book, and you know you can sit there and take up all the time you want, um, but it probably is just a waste of time and a drain of your well of your resources 
the most important of which would be time. Um, this is time you could be spent doing other things in your business or other things in your life. Um, maybe the walled up would be um, talking to someone who just isn't interested in talking to you. They're just walled. Uh, maybe this is the in a dating thing, in a dating scene. Um, this might be the, the girl who's shielded up too much and it's just not worth, she's a walled city, not worth besieging. The amount of effort and resources, how many dates are going to have to take her on um, for her to open up, it, you, you might just go find someone who is more receptive to, to dating at that time. Therefore, the skillful leader subdues the enemy's troops without any fighting. He captures their cities without laying siege to them. He overthrows their kingdom without lengthy operations in the field. With his forces intact, he will dispute the mastery of the empire. And thus, without losing a man, his triumph will be complete. This is the method of attacking by stratagem. So basically just being more strategic. Just realizing that you can be a lot more uh, con uh, concise with your words. And being more precise with how you do things. More effective. I shouldn't say more effective, but reasonably more effective. Okay, that's it for that chapter. Chapter four. I don't have much here, but a little bit. So chapter four, number line 14. The skillful fighter puts himself into a position which makes defeat impossible and does not miss the moment for defeating the enemy. Um, this reminds me of, I think it was Henzo Gracie that said, um, I think it was one of the Gracies, at least in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, um, that said uh, that if, if, if you play such a defensive game such that you can't lose, all you can do is win. So there's something to that. I'll read that again. Hence the skillful fighter puts himself into a position which makes defeat impossible and does not miss the moment for defeating the enemy. So for investing, you know, maybe you... Uh, Hedge your bets a little bit so you, you cover the downside. Um, just like a, a really like a famous example um, that comes to mind just off the bat is uh, Richard Branson with uh, uh, Virgin Air. He, the, the deal he had actually negotiated with Boeing for the planes he was going to use um, had a clause in the contract stating that Boeing would have to buy the airplanes back if the business did not work or something like that. So essentially... It was impossible for him to lose at that point, or at least if whatever loss he did have was going to be heavily mitigated. Line number 15. Thus it is that in war, the victorious strategist only seeks battle after the victory has been won, whereas he who is destined to defeat first fights and afterwards looks for victory. <laughs> I laugh because I don't obey this piece of advice very often uh, many times i dive headfirst into things without being very strategic and afterwards look for victory so some like for example this would be like tracking your profit during a job um, sometimes i won't uh, do this and afterwards you look and you're like oh i made no money on that job how could that be um, because you didn't set yourself up or i didn't set myself up to um First of all, not lose any money and, um, and not necessarily tracking it throughout the job. And afterwards, I looked, did I win? Did I win? Did I make money? And I didn't. And so then you're disappointed. Whereas you could have just, uh, from the very start, set yourself up for the victory. Or at the very least, not losing. 
The consummate leader cultivates the moral law and strictly adheres to the method and discipline. Thus, it is in his power to control success. So, basically, just that. Set for chapter four. Chapter five, energy. It's one of my favorite chapters in this book. Sun Tzu said, The control of a large force is the same principle as the control of a few men. It is merely a question of dividing up their numbers. Systems. So if you are able to systemize one crew to be self-sufficient, then you can do that for as many crews as possible. Um, another way I like to look at this is actually real estate investing. And uh, I actually have a buddy who runs a reasonably successful real estate company out of Victoria. And remember, he asked me one time, he said, John, if you owned a house and it paid you $100 a month, how many of those homes would you want to own? And of course, the answer was as many as possible. And so it's similar to this in the sense that if you have a profitable army, so each legion or whatever is self-sufficient, you'll take as many men as possible, which he actually goes into a little bit later in the book. Line number two, fighting with a large army under your command is no wise different from fighting with a small one. It is merely a question of instituting signals and signs. So systems. Line number five. In all fighting, the direct method may be used for joining battle, but indirect methods will be needed in order to secure victory. Indirect tactics, efficiently applied, are inexhaustible as heaven and earth, unending as the flow of rivers and streams, like the sun and moon, they end, but to begin anew. Like the four seasons, they pass away to return once more. There are not more than five musical notes, yet the combinations of these five give rise to more melodies than can ever be heard. There are not more than five primary colors, blue, yellow, red, white, and black. Yet in combination, they produce more hues than can ever be seen. There are not more than five cardinal tastes. Sour, salt, sweet, bitter. Yet combinations of them yield more flavors than can ever be tasted. In battle, there are not more than two methods of attack. The direct and indirect. Yet these two in combination give rise to an endless series of maneuvers. So in, like where I go with this is um, conversations with people, um, again, sales or I mean anything, but let's just go with sales. Um, there's an endless amount of variations you can have within a sales call. Um, one of my clients actually the day had mentioned to me that, you know, some of his least favorite um, salesmen to deal with are ones that read a script. And they want a very specific way of doing things. It has to be, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, the whole the whole checklist. Um, versus, and and so that's you know whether those are indirect each checkpoint. Um, it's it's a it's it's a predetermined sales pitch. Versus someone realizing that you know throughout the flow of the conversation, some you know, and you can kind of go through somewhat of a script. But you know, some some points in the conversation, you might be a little bit more di more direct with the client. You might actually ask for that close right away. Sometimes you might be a little bit more subtle. You might be a little bit more indirect. Um, you might you know dance around something a little bit 
um, just to see how they, you know, probe a little bit, ask a couple questions, indirectly working to something, right? You're trying to get probe information from them, right? Um, indirectly getting the sale might be building rapport. I mean, I, you could argue it's direct, but, you know, asking their son and having a 30-minute conversation about how great they are at hockey, pretty sneaky, indirect, but you're building rapport. Line number 11, the direct and indirect lead onto each other in turn. It is like moving in a circle. You never come to an end. Who can exhaust the possibilities of their combination? So essentially what I just was saying about how it just keeps going. You know, there's uh, a million different versions of it. 15, energy may be likened to the bending of a crossbow. crossbow. Decision to the releasing of a trigger. I love this. Um, imagery. Uh, that's why I highlighted that line. I just love that. Um, the tension of the crossbow. You have it, you can imagine a crossbow wound up. As soon as you make that decision, trigger. Um, I also think there might be something to be said about making a decision quickly um, and removing, uh, making it as trivial as possible, um, just getting it over with. Another thing too as well, actually, that should be mentioned here is that uh, the bending of a crossbow is more or less preparation and the decision is instant. So, but in order to make an instant decision, you have to be somewhat prepared. You have to have that crossbow pulled back. So I like that. There's, there's some depth to that. Amid the turmoil and tumult of battle, there may be seeming disorder and yet no real disorder at all. Amid confusion and chaos, your array may be without head or tail, yet it will be proof against defeat. Simulated disorder postulates perfect discipline. Simulated fear postulates courage. Simulated weakness postulates strength. Hiding order beneath the cloak of disorder is simply a question of subdivision. Concealing courage under a show of timidity presupposes a fund of latent energy. Masking strength with weakness is to be affected by tactical dispositions. So I don't remember why I actually highlighted this section, but it sounded pretty good. <laughs> Simulated disorder. So you can, you can imagine, um, like I, when I used to play basketball in high school, we used to, like our coach would say, train like you play, right? Um, and so sometimes it's it's okay to maybe uh, run things a little bit more chaotic as long as it's simulated. It's not real chaos. That way when the real chaos comes, you'll, uh, you'll be prepared. That's what I get from that. Line number 21. The clever combatant looks to the effect of combined energy and does not require too much from individuals. Hence his ability to pick out the right men and utilize combined energy this is one of my favorite lines of the entire book so there's there's a couple different arguments here um especially in, like directly related to business so as much as it may not sound like the most positive thing to say but realistically as a business owner you want to have your business in such a way that it requires the lowest skill necessary now that doesn't mean low skill i mean like if you're a law firm you still want like i mean lawyers are highly skilled people but you don't necessarily want to only 
operate. I mean, you can, there's boutique businesses, but the, in order to scale a business, you want to operate the lowest skill required. Like um, like fast food restaurants are a great example of this. They require virtually nothing from their employees other than just standing in a place and operating a machine. Um, in a business like mine, uh, in painting, realistic. I mean, I run a, a very specific type of painting business. Um, but you would you would want the lowest skill possible in order to paint people's homes. You don't want to rely on only having the most skilled version of what's available. Obviously, it's going to be harder to find. So in a military context, you don't necessarily want to run your army in such a way that you can only win if you have the absolute best warriors in the land. Because what if you can't afford them? What if they don't happen to exist in your country? You want to be able to build your army or your company in such a way that well, again, it requires the lowest skill of labor. So in, in combined energy, I love because, again, this brings back to the earlier point. Um, was it this chapter? Um, yeah, so the control of a large force is the same, the same principle as the control of a few men. So uh, likewise, so it, it is, if you have proper systems and you have the largest army possible, or in this case, the largest company possible, the most employees um you'll be able to combine their energy a lot more efficiently um, than if you weren't. When he utilizes combined energy, his fighting men become as it... When he utilizes combined energy, his fighting men become as it were, like onto rolling logs or stones. For it is the nature of a log or stone to remain motionless on the level ground, and to move when on a slope, if four-cornered, to come to a standstill, but if round-shaped, to go rolling down. Thus the energy developed by good fighting men is as the momentum of a round stone rolled down a mountain thousands of feet in, in height. So much on the subject of energy. Love, love, love this line. Honest people gravitate gravitate to telling the truth. I forget where I read this, but um, it makes sense. So probably some, some sort of Stoic philosophy. I think it was Marcus Aurelius. Uh, it's that people gravitate to, to nature, to their nature. So sheep they or cows, they eat grass. So if that's in their nature, they're going to gravitate to eating grass. They're not going to randomly start eating other things. If they do, it's an exception. But for the most part, cows are just going to eat grass. Honest people will gravitate towards telling the truth. So if you put the right people, if you understand the nature of each person that works for you, because as humans, we have nature. Um, we have uh, tendencies. But as individuals, we also have tendencies. And so if you put the right people in the right places, like, for example, if you know that one of your employee, employees is, quote unquote, a little Machiavellian, well, maybe he's not the worst person to have in a sales role. You know, maybe he's going to get some better sales than uh, the one person who tends to be timid, right? They're going to be a little bit more shy. I mean, this is kind of common sense, but it definitely goes to be said that um, by setting up the right shapes in the right spots, uh, they'll do just fine. And in, in this case, momentum, right? So what do people gravitate towards? What are, They'll gravitate towards their nature. That's it for that chapter.
I think I'll go. I'll go one more chapter. Chapter six. This is a longer one. Sun Tzu said, "Whoever is first in the field and awaits the coming of the enemy will be fresh for the fight. Whoever is second in the field and has to hasten to battle will arrive exhausted. Therefore." The clever combatant imposes his will on the enemy, but does not allow the enemy's will to be imposed on him. One one thing I like the thing about this is that um, I like to get after it in January, like early, early January, like most people do. I mean, with New Year's resolutions, um, but in in weird ways, like um, like knocking on doors, like cold to cold, like cold calling, like door to door sales in like negative twenty five weather. Uh, I live in Canada, by the way, so if that negative 25 sounds nuts, uh, one, it's Celsius, but two, yeah, it's still cold. Um, take in mind, I also live in a particularly warm part of Canada, so I shouldn't be complaining too much. It's uh, not Winnipeg. Winnipeg's like negative 50. And if you don't know Winnipeg, there are savages out there. So uh, where was I going with this? Oh yeah, I like to like I like to get to the battlefield before everyone else. Um, and in this case, uh, knocking on doors early in the year, I like to bring my will to the enemy. Uh, so when my opponents, when my competitors get out, they start realizing, oh shit, we're not alone here. Like you know, John's already been out. I mean, maybe they don't know it's me. I mean, if I'm very sneaky, they they won't know it's me. Um, there's some there's some uh, art of war there, being a little deceptive, maybe not letting them know that you're out so early. But uh, yeah, getting after it early. Um, being the first one to the fight, to the field. Line number four. If the enemy is taking his ease, he can harass him. If well supplied with food, he can starve him out. If quietly encamped, he can force him to move. Appear at points which the enemy must hasten to defend. March swiftly to places where you can, where you are not expected. Um, one thing I like to do, which again, art of war, man. So early in the year, I actually like to cold call, um, as far away from my competitor where he lives as possible. Um, so that he doesn't know that I'm already out cold calling. You know, again, maybe this is me overthinking things, but I like to go to very specific areas where he may not expect me to go right away, um, and get after it, get those leads that he's not going to be expecting. You know, maybe the areas that I know that he hits last, well, maybe I, I'll, I'll hit those, later as well but the ones i know he hits first maybe those areas i'm gonna go i don't know gotta get after it kind of contradict myself there but bear with me uh line number 16 the spot where we intend to fight must not be made known this is exactly what i was saying with the cold calling right we're gonna we already know as competitors that we're gonna do battle in in our territories right like i live in Kelowna. So I know that I'm going to be competing with people in Kelowna. So that's already known. But he doesn't necessarily know where in Kelowna we're going to do battle. Where I'm cold calling already. For then the enemy will have to prepare against a possible attack at several different points and his forces being thus distributed in many directions. The numbers we shall have to face at any given point will be proportionately few. Carefully compare, this is line number 24, carefully compare the opposing army with your own so that you may know where strength is super abundant and where it is deficient. It, it's, it's reasonably important to know where your competitors are at with 
you know, uh, what, what kind of financials, you know, if you're able to get some financial details on them, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they went and purchased a bunch of cars and went on a bunch of trips. Maybe they're going to have, so maybe they have less money now for marketing, right? So, you know, if, if, if I see one of my competitors going out and buying a bunch of cars and stupid shit, I see him as, okay, he's going to probably be broke. What do broke people do? They do cheaper forms of marketing. So door knocking. So he's going to be doing more door knocking. Okay. Well, I gotta, I gotta get after more door knocking before he does. Um, if I know he had a really good year and, you know, I've, I'm, I'm hearing people tell me, oh, he's got, he's going to come back. You know, maybe I, maybe a friend of his is going to inform me. Oh yeah, I know, man, he's going to put a bunch of money into, into this type of marketing. Well, okay. You know, he's going to be doing direct mail marketing this year. Got to be careful of that. So it's good to know uh, where he's going to be uh, strong, right? Maybe he doesn't have a lot of cold callers this year. Maybe he doesn't have enough people knocking on doors. Well, you know, that's good to know. Line number 24. Carefully compare the opposing... Oh, no, I just read that. Uh, line number 25. In making tactical dispositions, the highest pitch you can attain is to conceal them. Conceal your dispositions, and you'll be safe from the prying of the subtlest spies from the machinations of the wisest brains. Um, yeah, be careful who you talk to. Uh, you know? Maybe that friend also knows your competitor. Maybe they're secretly telling them all this different stuff. And maybe not even out of malicious intent. I've had many conversations with people who, you know, know some of my competitors and they've given me potentially great information that's worth knowing. You know, like, uh, you know, this guy's going on vacation for next week. Great. That's worth knowing. It's a week to build a game. Or the handy one nowadays, to be honest, people just, you don't even need spies. If social media, if you're not following, I know people get all like hokey pokey about this, well, you know, focus on yourself. But realistically, it's nice knowing when, you're, uh, when your competitors are on vacation because you should grind extra hard on those weeks. The weeks that you see them posting pictures on them on the beach in Mexico in the middle of the preseason, it's like, get after it. That's when I'm going to be grinding. Okay. Um, line number 28. Do not repeat the tactics which have gained you one victory, but let your methods be regulated by the infinite variety of circumstances. Military tactics are like unto water. Oh, this is actually one of the most famous sayings, period. Um, a lot of people say this is a uh, Jackie Chan quote, but I'll read this to you. This is Sun Tzu. Military tactics are like unto water, for water in its natural course runs away from high places and hastens downwards. So in war, the way is to avoid what is strong and to strike at what is weak. Lowest bearing fruit. Water shapes its course according to the nature of the ground over which it flows. The soldier works out his victory in relation to the foe whom he is facing. Therefore, just as water retains no constant shape, so in warfare there are no constant conditions. He who can modify his tactics in relation to his opponent and thereby succeed in winning may be called a heaven-born captain. I mean, that's just gold. I'm going to read that again. I like that so much. Military tactics are like unto water. For water in its natural course runs away from high places and hastens downwards. So in war, the way is to avoid what is strong and to strike at what is weak. 
water shapes its course according to the nature of the ground over which it flows. The soldier works out his victory in relation to the foe whom he is facing. Therefore, just as water retains no constant shape, so in warfare there are no constant conditions. He who can modify his tactics in relation to his opponent and thereby succeed in winning may be called a heaven-born captain. Yeah, got to adapt. It's pretty straightforward. Be like water. Either way, I mean, that's, uh, that's it for today. That's kind of a general taste of what this podcast is going to be like. Um, not all the books are necessarily going to be as uh, dense as this, although some are a little bit more dense. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Um, see if there's something you guys like. There's some changes that um, that I can make to improve this. Uh, considering this is my first episode of this podcast and my first attempt at podcasting, I imagine there's a lot to improve and I'd love to get feedback from you guys. Um, yeah, let me know. Um, I've enjoyed doing this. Uh, these are things that I do in my own free time anyhow, so it's nice to finally get these ideas out and, and potentially uh, improve my understanding of these books by... Uh, saying my thoughts out loud. Um, I'm not necessarily, well, definitely not an expert on any of the things that I'm that I'm reading. Um, despite me maybe have uh, read some of these books numerous times, um, I, every time I come back to them, I always get a little bit more out of it. And every time I um, read them, I develop my ideas of the books a little bit further. And I feel like by doing this podcast uh, with you guys and putting myself in the student position rather than the expert role, um, I'll be able to learn more and I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to see where this podcast goes and yeah, thank you for, for listening this far if you have. I mean, I'm looking at the time here and we're about to hit uh, 50 minutes, so good stuff. Thank you so much and I hope uh, you have a wonderful day.